So this month, we are embarking on a gratitude journey. And I have loved in the past week hearing y'all tell me how this has been a practice that you have been up to even before we started. People are doing gratitude journals. One church member told me about a gratitude website that she helped begin, gratitude blogs. And I get the sense that gratitude is something that really all of us can gather around. It's, it's, an, it's an attitude that we like, right? Um, and so I'm excited that today we're gonna be looking at our second step. Our second step on the gratitude path is having a certain type of attitude. And, and y'all know what I mean when you're at an event or a, a family table, maybe a reunion, and in walks Debbie Downer. And you know then that the conversation's about to be glass half empty, and the focus is gonna end up on her or him because you know they're playing their violin for how awful they're, and all of a sudden this celebration turns into something where you don't really feel that grateful. And on the flip side, you know, you're in a meeting, this never happens at a church meeting, but you're in a meeting, and, and like the, maybe the financials aren't lining up exactly the way you want them, but there is that one elder who just keeps it so positive. We just are going to trust God, and, and that person ends up turning the attitude around. So which type of attitude would you rather be around? The one that's more grateful, the one that's more positive, right? Well, as we approach this scripture today, it has been it's hitting me that I can tend to have the glass half empty attitude, one that is really not very grateful. You know, last week we saw that the first step on the gratitude path is just being aware. And I think I do a pretty good job of being aware. I'm aware of the abundance that I have that I don't have to think about where I get my water. I don't have to think about if I have a, a means of transportation to get to and from work. I don't have to think about you know, what level of education my children are getting because it's amazing. But, so I'm aware. But this next step, really having a different attitude I think that I need an attitude adjustment. And what we're gonna see in our scripture today is that King David finds himself in a situation where he has to have an attitude adjustment. We are going to look at an Old Testament book that you probably haven't read since you will ever. It's, it's from the book of First Chronicles which just tells the story of King David and King Solomon and the building of the temple. And um, before we dive in, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious and loving God, these are ancient stories about ancient people who lived in a time that was so different than ours. We don't have a king in this country we don't live off of subsistence farming. So these foreign words, God, may your Holy Spirit that is present within each of us, may each of us be able to find a truth for our lives. May each of us be able to hear a word that gives us encouragement and comfort because it is your word, God. May we hear something this day from your holy word that transforms us to the point where we cannot leave here as we entered. And we trust you with this. 
In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So let me tell you what's happened right before we read the first scripture. Up to this point, David um, has been really about acquiring land. And so he's been in these lands and he is the king. And he has been conquering peoples, taking them in. He decides at this point that he wants to take a census of the land. He wants to know how many people are in my control. And we know that God did not tell him to do this. In verse one of the chapter we read, it says that Satan incited David to take a census of the people. And his chief commander, Joab, comes to him and says, this is a really bad idea. You shouldn't take a census of the people. But but David is determined. This is what he wants to know. How many people are really under my reign? And so he takes this census of the people And God is very displeased with him and God confronts him. And like David always does when he's confronted by God, he repents and he's like, I'm I'm gonna do whatever it is, whatever I need to do. And God says, well, there's still a consequence to this action that you took. And so he sends a plague on the people of Israel and then David is desperate and he falls before God. What can I do to stop this plague? And at this moment, God sends a prophet named Gad, G-A-D, to tell David what he is supposed to do. And that's where we're going to pick up. And we'll start at verse 18. The angel of the Lord commanded Gad to tell David he should go up and erect an altar of the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David went up following Gad's instructions, which he had spoken of in the name of the Lord. Ornan turned and saw the angel, and while his four sons, who were with him, hid themselves, Ornan continued to thresh wheat. As David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David And Ornan went out from the threshing floor and he did obeisance or he laid down with his face to the ground before David. You see, scripture doesn't tell us much about this character, Ornan. This is the only place Ornan is in the whole of the Old Testament. We're told that he has four sons and he has this thing called a threshing floor. I thought you might be curious to see what it is, and this is kind of what a threshing floor would have been. It would have been a circular form of some material, and then the wheat or the grain from the fields would be brought, and then they would be beat on this floor, and then the grain would fall down, and then the chaff would be thrown away. So it was the harvest. It was the place where things were harvested. And then the author is sure to tell us one more thing. He is, has four sons, he has a threshing floor, and then the author tells us this, Ornan is a Jebusite. See, when, by telling us that Ornan is a Jebusite, it means that Ornan was not an Israelite. So the land on which his threshing floor resided was actually his land, but now there's a king. And the king technically has control over all of the land. And so this indigenous person suddenly sees king approaching. What would Ornan have thought? 
Well, I'll tell you what he did. He hid his sons, the scripture tells us. He hid those sons. And then it tells us that he keeps threshing the wheat. And, and I think he must have thought, okay, well, maybe if, if the king sees that I'm a good hard worker, nothing bad will happen to us. Because why would the king of our entire country come to my house unless he wanted something? Maybe he's going to take my sons. Maybe he wants them for his battles. I've heard about him. He's a great warrior king. And so David just keeps threshing the wheat. Listen to the next scripture. As David approaches, Ornan falls before the king. And David says to Ornan, give me the sight of your threshing floor that I I may build on it an altar to the Lord. Give it to me at its full price so that the plague may be averted from the people. And Ornan says to David, take it. Take the threshing floor. Let my Lord the king do what seems good to him. See, I present the oxen for burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for the wood and the wheat grain for offering. I give it all. I imagine Ornan's face to the ground in front of David, scared to death, thinking of only one thing. What am I going to do in this moment to make sure that I keep those boys safe? That I make sure that this land, which technically is mine, I get to keep. I am going to do anything. And so David does this dramatic thing, though. He says, your threshing floor, I want to buy it. I wonder if Ornan thought, oh, it's a test. This is the king. He knows he owns everything in the land. It's a test. And so Ornan says, no, 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 you don't need to buy it. You can have it all. You can have the floor. In fact, I will get you the wood. I will get you the oxen. I will build the altar for you. I, and he says, the scripture, he uses these four words, I give it all. I wonder what David thought when he heard Ornan say that. Remember, up to this point, David's attitude has been one of acquiring, of consuming, of gaining. David has been caught up with a very different attitude than this person who was laying before him. The smallest of all of his brothers, David was the least likely to be called as king. And so he was going to show everyone who was in control. As a child, he protected sheep with a slingshot. He killed a big, huge, giant Goliath. He demands people will be counted whether God told me to or not. He wants to know how much he has because, see, his attitude is one of acquiring. I'm going to acquire land. I'm going to acquire tribes. I'll get someone else's wife. And before him is this man. And all he is doing is working for his family and trying to protect these children. And he is in that moment, that man is willing to give what little he owns away. Do you see the picture of the two contrasting attitudes? So in that moment, listen to what King David says. But King David said to Ornan, no. I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David paid Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site. David built there an altar to the Lord and presented burnt offerings and offerings of well-being. He called upon the Lord and he answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering. And then the Lord commanded the angel and he put his sword back into its sheath. 
David had to change his attitude, one of acquiring and owning and ruling to one of gratitude. And this is a perfect example that gratitude is not a mechanical response to when things are going well. Things aren't going well for David in this moment. Gratitude is an attitude of the heart that compels action. Where before David wanted to acquire more, get more, rule more, he now realizes before this humble person before him that God is the owner of all things and he actually is more similar to Ornan as a servant. David has been told he's got to build this altar. How interesting that in this moment of confrontation, in this moment of having an attitude change, the thing that God tells him to do is just worship me. Worship me. Gratitude is an act of worship. And in that moment, it could have been something that David continued to just consume. Remember, Ornan is willing. Ornan says, sure, you can have it. I'll build it for you. And David says, no, no, no. This thing, this thing is between me and God. And I am not going to be just a consumer. David tells Ornan, this is my fault. I cannot do that which cost me nothing. And so David pays for the threshing floor. And the scripture is real clear. It says David gets his hands involved. David builds the altar. David calls upon the Lord. David worships God. If we want to practice an attitude of gratitude and take this second step, what better way than making it an act of worship? In this holy set-apart time that we have once a week, our gifts and our possessions, offering them to God in gratitude, but not just our financial gifts, y'all. When you stand and you sing songs in a style that you don't like, we do it together corporately because it is an act of worship. When we make you stand up and greet one another in the peace of Christ, you do so in an intentional welcome and warmth because it is an act of gratitude. What type of attitude have we been having? Have we been consuming this worship? An act of gratitude says, I can't just be a consumer of, of my faith. I cannot do that which costs me nothing. Lloyd Ogilvie, a Presbyterian pastor and He was the chaplain of the U.S. Senate from 1995 to 2003. He has this story where he was the pastor of a very, a church with people of lots of means in um, Hollywood, California. And he is sitting with one of his church members who has made it big. And he says, Pastor Ogilvie, I need you to pray for me. When I was first starting out, I tithed. It was so easy for me. I tithed. I had no problem. But now I am a millionaire. And if I was to tithe, that would be so much money to give away. It would be a better investment for me to put it somewhere else. Pastor says, I will pray for you. (laughs) Dear Lord, I pray that this man goes back to an income where he feels comfortable giving the tithe. I will not take that which cost me nothing. This is something Charlie and I struggle with. You know, we're tempted. We're tempted that if either of us get a raise or we receive some fortune that, you know, we need to do what is the best investment. 
We want to do that which gets us the most fruit for our buck. And we literally have people advising us to do this. I want you to know that Charlie and I have absolutely no problem giving a tithe of our income to the Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church. I know that I have an advantage and Stacy has an advantage of being kind of on the front row and we get to hear the amazing things that God is doing through you all and through this place. And so I know it might seem like, oh, well, it's easy for me to give that because, you know, I get to hear about it. I just want you to look at our calendar just for the next couple of days to see a tiny snapshot of what God is doing in our midst. Tomorrow on Monday morning, all of our preschool children will arrive here and then they will get screened for speech testing. Later in the afternoon, 150 elementary school kids will get together as we host a Bible study that is not our own called After School Kids. And the night will close with several girl and boy scouts meeting here and we hope up to 75 adults will come and hear a counselor speak about addiction and how to deal with it in the families. And then Tuesday morning, we have two early morning men's Bible studies, afternoon mahjong with people who don't necessarily go to this church, and then that evening will be divorce care, which is for open to the entire community to help people that are going through divorce feel like they have companions on that journey. And y'all, that's just some of what we do, just in two days. That doesn't even mention, you know, the 30 people that come week after week who have dementia, who have come here and they get friends, real friends. And did you know that we have over 20 young adults coming to play basketball here on Thursday afternoons? Very, very little of them have any relationship with this church. You would not believe, y'all. God is impacting real lives, real lives for the kingdom through the ministry of this church. The Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church is impacting lives both through our own ministry and programming. And I hope you know that this year in 2019, we're going to give almost 12% of our operating budget right out the door to give homes to the homeless, to give dental aid to people in East and South Austin that struggle to be able to get that, to, to feed the hungry, and not to mention the, the, the missionaries that we support literally all over the world. This is the second step. The threshing floor of the Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church, it is producing a huge harvest of grain. Can we take that which cost us nothing? Will you join me on this gratitude path? As partners in ministry, we do this together. May we respond with gratitude. Amen.